Welcome to She Breeds, where the goal of every podcast episode is to inspire and empower women to up-level and lean in to the best versions of themselves. I hope you enjoy. Good morning and happy Friday, everyone. I hope you're all having a great week. Both of my boys have been at a camp this week, and so it's been interesting because even when they're at their dad's, I often talk to them every day, and so when they're away at camp, it's there's not as much communication going on. So I pick them both up today, and I cannot wait to see their little faces, but I know they've had a lot of fun. Um, my older son, Brooks, was at a running camp, and my younger one was at like a traditional wilderness camp. So I did chit chat with Brooks some because he had his phone, um, but he was really busy running and doing all kinds of crazy active stuff. And Case, they can only uh, send letters through email a couple of times during the week. So anyway, I can't wait to see them today. And I'm looking forward to a relaxing, lovely summer weekend. All right. Well, I can't wait for this episode today because I hope it's going to be very motivating and uplifting to you because that is my goal. So let's jump into it. So at the beginning of the summer, I told myself I was going to slow down and let things come to me. I've talked before how I can get pretty amped up and activated about things, and I just didn't want to feel like that during the summer. I wanted to enjoy the kids and enjoy Matthew and enjoy this beautiful place where I live in Western North Carolina. So I decided I was going to be fully present and more playful. And it all kind of boiled down to, I just wanted to feel fully alive. I didn't want to feel just partly alive. I wanted to feel fully alive. And that thought that I had before summer started has come, is, is coming full circle, which you will see here um, by the end of this episode. I have a tattoo on my left inner arm that says, my inner forearm that says, one life, one story. And so I got the tattoo around the time when my mom was really sick with cancer. And it just is a daily reminder that we have this one beautiful, precious life that we are able to enjoy and make the most of it. It's like, you know, each day we have a blank slate. We have a canvas where we can write a beautiful story or paint a beautiful story if you don't like to write. And I know that every day is not easy or joyful and there's hardships, but sometimes it's the hard emotions or the deep feelings that make the most beautiful stories. So we can't discount those either. Um, And this summer, I told myself that I was going to listen to my inner guidance and I was going to enjoy the beautiful stories that would unfold. And I've talked about manifesting before on the podcast. Um, Gabrielle Bernstein is one of my favorite teachers to learn about manifestation. And she describes the act of manifesting as co-creating with the universe. So it's not something, you know, some of these hokey things and some of the more trendy things on manifesting, you know, basically make it seem like you ask the universe for something and it hands it to you. Well, it is not like that at all. You put it out there into the universe and then we ourselves have to take intentional action and steps toward it. And Gabrielle Bernstein calls that co-creating with the universe. When we really want something to come into our lives, we put it out there clearly and boldly, and we do our part and the universe does its part to make it happen for us. So going into the summer, I said to the universe, 
I will enjoy the summer fully. I will lean into experiences and allow myself to slow down, relax, and be playful. I will give my attention to the things that matter, and I will be fully present with those I love. And I will learn as much about myself as possible. And so while I've been doing my own work with reading, journaling, meditating, eating healthy foods, being outside as much as possible, and exploring these beautiful mountains, other things have come into my world that can only be described as the universe co-creating along with me. So on today's episode, I'm going to tell you about some of these things and some of these experiences in hopes that my words will encourage you to look deeper inside yourself and make sure that you are not only half alive. I've mentioned the group coaching session that I've been, or experience that I've been doing um, that's facilitated by Beth Sanderson Hooper. She's been on the podcast with me several times before. And it's, there's just three of us. It's a small group coaching session. And not only has connecting with these women every day been so good for my soul, but the things we're learning about ourselves has been quite mind-blowing. We joked yesterday that we should have been writing down all of the epiphanies we're having because it's just been so much. And part of it is that we're being vulnerable with each other and we're allowing ourselves to look inward and we're sharing things with one another that maybe people sometimes feel inhibited to do. And it's just felt, it's felt really good. And so this past week, we've focused heavily on Enneagram. And I'm only going to touch on Enneagram today because I'm hopeful that Beth and Sarah will join me very soon on an episode and we can explore the topic together since it's been a collective journey for the three of us. And the book we're using is called The Wisdom of the Enneagram by Don Richard Riso and Russ Hudson. So it's essentially the Bible for Enneagram. I highly suggest acquiring it and diving into it. You, it's even, you, you cannot, you cannot go wrong. You cannot go wrong by learning about this philosophy. So before I get started, I wanted to read to you something from the beginning of this book um, that I felt was very, I feel is very powerful. We are all driven by a deep inner restlessness. We may feel this restlessness as a sense that something is missing in us, although it is usually difficult to define exactly what it is. We have all sorts of notions about what we think we need or want, a better relationship, a better job, a better physique, a better car, and on and on. We believe that if we acquire that perfect relationship or job or new toy, the restlessness will go away and we will feel satisfied and complete. But experience teaches us that the new car makes us feel better for only a short time. The new relationship may be wonderful, but it never quite fulfills us in the way we thought it would. So what are we really looking for? If we reflect for a moment, we may realize that what our hearts yearn for is to know who we are and why we are here. But little in our culture encourages us to look for answers to those important questions. We have been taught that the quality of our life will improve primarily if our external fortunes improve. Sooner or later, however, we all realize that external things, while valuable in themselves, cannot address the deep restlessness of our soul. Our hearts yearn to soar, yet we almost always come crashing down painfully on the rocks of fear, self-defeating habits, and ignorance. All too often, our good intentions and noble hopes simply become new sources of disappointment. We give up on ourselves, return to familiar distractions, and try to forget about the whole matter. And so I just love that intro into the book because then it goes on to say that a lot of self-development books and a lot of um, 
you know, programs in psychology or even like tax tactics that therapists use. They're just too broad in general. And so the reason the Enneagram is so incredible is because it breaks down nine different personality types because we are all different after all. And prior to reading this book and prior to the coaching session, I'd heard of Enneagram, but I never knew what number I was. And so if you're unfamiliar with Enneagram in general, it's by definition a geometric figure that maps out the nine fundamental personality types of human nature and the complex interrelationships of each. It's a development of modern psychology with roots in spiritual wisdom from many different ancient traditions. And one main reason I love Enneagram is because it combines philosophies and wisdoms from Christians, Buddhists, Muslims, and Jews. And it's wisdom that spans thousands of years. I could go on and on about the history and philosophy of Enneagram because it's quite extraordinary. But I want to move on from it for today. So, but just so you know, I am an Enneagram 7 if you are familiar with Enneagram types. And once I discovered this, so many things, choices, people, and decisions in my life became clear. And the first thing I thought was, if only I'd known this about myself sooner. And not only does knowing my personality type make me feel closer to myself, it allows me to understand my loved ones more deeply and know better how to respond to them and love them. And I feel like someone asked me yesterday how Enneagram differs from something like Myers-Briggs. And I feel like the main difference is for me, Enneagram feels way more spiritual and subconscious. It feels deeper. It feels, you know, less surfacey. And so while knowing your Myers-Briggs type is cool, it's not to me, nearly as layered as knowing your Enneagram type. So I won't go into the weeds about a type seven because that's me. And if you are a type seven, it would be interesting. But if you're not a type seven, then it might just kind of not be interesting. And I don't want to get too much information into your head if you don't know anything about Enneagrams because I want you to figure out what yours is. Um, And me talking about all the things I've learned as a type seven could be it's an episode in and of itself. So Essentially, I just wanted to highlight that discovering my type was a core way that the universe co-created with me this summer and gave me what I asked for, which at the end of the day is to know myself better and to feel more alive. The next thing that happened recently that felt like it was from the universe was an encounter with a stranger. So each year around this time, the newspaper that I write for, the Smoky Mountain News, has an anniversary party. The newspaper was founded in 1999 in June. So every year in June or early July, we have an anniversary party in our parking lot. And so we invite everyone from the community and we invite readers and fans of the newspaper, friends and family of the writers, and it's super fun. There's like free drinks and food and it's just an all-around good time. And so... I've been writing, I've been working with Smoky Mountain News since 2016, mostly as a columnist. And sometimes I feel maybe it's time for me to retire the column space and give it to someone else. And I swear every time I say that, I end up, people come to me and say like, oh, I love your column. I love following your story with your family. And I've read all about your mom and your boys. And so then it always makes me feel like, okay, I'm going to continue writing the column. Well, at the party, which was last Friday... A couple of people came up and told me that, which always makes me feel a renewed sense of, of you know, motivation and energy around the column. And now that I know I'm a seven, I understand why I sevens get bored easily. And so I, it's like I like to jump from job to job or writing project to another because 
I'm a person that gets bored easily. But anyway, so um, the good thing about a column or any kind of writing is at least you can change the topic. So that makes it less boring. So this sweet lady finds me and she says, I am such a fan of your column. And she's holding a book in her hand, by the way. And she said, I love your column. And I recently read where you said that you have trouble having fun, that you have forgotten how to have fun. So I was hoping you would be here because I brought you this book. And she hands me a book and it's called The Power of Fun, How to Feel Alive Again. And it's by Katherine Price. I think my whole face broke out in a smile because first of all, she was so cute. Her name was Fran. And then she wrote her phone number in the front of the book and told me to call her when I was finished with it so I could get it back to her. And... And it would just, it just like made my night. So anyway, so the book is called The Power of Fun, How to Feel Alive Again. And I am enjoying this book thoroughly. And Fran was so cute because she said, you may not like it. You may not even read it, but I want you to have it. And I mean, it it, it was right up my alley. You know, I love self-development stuff and it was just right, right there. Something that I would love. So I've been reading it. And um, so in the book, she dig the author digs into the concept of fun and she coins the term true fun And true fun only happens at the intersection of connection, a flow state, and playfulness. So true fun requires that you're, typically requires that you're with other people, could even be like an animal, some sort of connection. It requires a flow state, which means you kind of lose track of time. And something about it is playful. So it makes you smile, laugh, you know, feel at ease, be silly, that kind of thing. So in the book, she challenges the reader to think of some times in the recent past where we had true fun. And so for me, I actually could come up with quite a few and that made me feel good, but I want much more of it in my life. So recent incidents of true fun for me were um, we did an escape room in uh, earlier in the year with the whole family. And that was so fun, so much more fun than I thought it would be. We, um, so that was fun paddle boarding and kayaking anytime where I'm with another person and I'm paddle boarding or kayaking on the lake. So fun. Um, goofing around with friends at the pool. Oh, this was okay. So goofing around at the, at the pool and in the hotel room recently at the blogging social media conference in Arizona. That was so fun. I la- we were laughing, catching up, you know, just, just having fun, just being together and kind of lost track of time, totally being playful. That was fun. Um, riding horses with case playing cornhole or other outside games with the family, riding bikes in Central Park in um, in New York York City over spring break. And then recently, Sarah and Beth and I went to a metaphysical store that had like crystals and pendulums and gems and all that kind of spiritual stuff that we love. And we totally lost track of time and just had so much fun learning and looking at stuff and talking. That was fun. Um, Going tubing down a local river. We did that recently, um, the family. And then playing trivia with friends. We hadn't done that in a long time, but last night we went out with some friends and played trivia at um, outside at an outside space at a local restaurant, and it was really fun. So I want you at some point soon to think of recent times when you had true fun. And if you're having trouble thinking of any, then just remember that to be true fun is connection, a flow state, and playfulness. So I hope that you are having fun, and if not, then these are some ideas for you. Okay. Um, so, you know, and then somewhere along the way we get, it's like we get sidetracked in life and we think that having fun is being on social media or binge watching TV or going out with friends at a bar, but those things in the end aren't fun. So we think that they're going to be fun going into them. And then we're left feeling kind of like blah and empty. And so 
the author of this book, um, she wrote another book called How to Break Up with Your Phone. And in the book on fun, she, she also talks a lot about devices and how they get in the way of true fun and how depression and anxiety have spiked since around 2008, which ironically was the year that smartphones became available. So I don't think that that's irony. I think, I think that's just, that's the correlation. Um, so Catherine, the, the author, Catherine Price, she says this about screens. One of the many great things about taking breaks from screens and devices is that it forces you to be still. The stillness can be very uncomfortable, but it also gives your brain a chance to breathe and come up with new ideas. She also talks about how it's impossible for our brains to focus on two things at a time. So if we're trying to multitask or if we're trying to engage with our children and we keep looking at our phone or checking our text messages or popping on social media, then we're not fully present with our kids or loved ones. Our society has gotten to this like sort of like, she calls it almost like a tick where we have to just check our phones, even if it's like nonsensical or we don't even really care what we're looking at. You know, it just, we, we have to get out of doing that. We've got to be vigilant not to let our phones and devices get in the way of feeling alive and actually living. And it's frustrating because modern American society values, you know, productivity and output and hustle bustle, and it, we don't value fun and connection like some other countries do. And so we have to make that change ourselves. We have to incorporate fun in our lives. We have to teach our kids how to have fun. We have to make sure our kids don't think that being on devices is true fun. Um, but if they've never had any true fun, then they don't really know what it feels like. So one very important thing of being you know, if you have children in your life is to get them outside and make sure they're good at having fun on their own. We just had to give them the space and the opportunity to do that. And we can actually learn a lot just by watching them have fun. So I'm only about a quarter away of the, uh, through the fun book, but it's already so good. And so I'll continue sharing bits and pieces on the podcast, um, as I come to them, because honestly, who doesn't want to have more true fun in their lives? Another book that has re-entered my life this summer is Super Attractor by Gabby Bernstein. I've listened to it before on Audible and it was so good that I decided to buy the print version so I could always have it on hand as a resource. And with certain books, I just like to be able to underline things and refer back to them and that's a little bit harder to do when the book is on Audible. So I've done this a couple of times where I've listened to a book on Audible and it's so good that I just want to have it in a hard copy to keep forever as a resource. So Super Attractor is one of those. And the subtitle of the book is Methods for Manifesting a Life Beyond Your Wildest Dreams. So as with all of her resources, she gives incredible advice throughout, but I just want to offer a few tips today. So first of all, she says the key to manifesting is to feel good. And this sounds so easy on the surface, but it's so hard in actuality, right? It's just hard for us just to feel good. Like, why do we always feel stressed or anxious or worried or confused or we're overthinking or we're comparing? It's so exhausting. And we could get way in the woo-woo weeds about this because all of those um, negative emotions are basically our subconscious trying to protect us from hurt. Um, it's just something, that this, these habits and these you know, things that we've learned to do subconsciously throughout our lives to protect ourselves and protect our heart. And 
it's like weird, but these feelings protect us. And so what they also do, however, is they put us in a lower vibration. And when we're in a low vibration, the universe does not respond to that. The universe meets us at whatever vibration we are on. So we want to be on a super high frequency so that the universe meets us there instead of way down here in the lower, you know, quicksand. Um, so to make this a little easier to understand, we, we can put this to practice. So I sat down and I just thought of things that make me feel good, just things that make me feel good. And so for me, an extended morning quiet time makes me feel amazing. And I know that I always harp on morning quiet time on this podcast, and I want to apologize for that because what I've learned now that I know I'm an Enneagram 7 is that not everybody needs this morning quiet time in the way that I do. You know, some people just need to stay off their phones in the morning and that's good for everyone. But for sevens, because we are inherently amped up, we are a personality type that is revved up and we're busybodies and we like hustle bustle around all day and that's just part of our nature. So we have to integrate these quiet times into our day to make sure that we find some balance. So for me, if I don't have this extended morning quiet time where I light my candle and I do my meditations and I pull in my cards and do all my things, then I feel discombobulated the rest of the day. But not everyone is like that. For instance, Matthew and his personality type, he likes to get up and work out first thing. Well, he'll he'll sit for a minute, but then he likes to get up and get his workout done really early in the morning, and that makes him feel good. I do not like doing that because if I work out, then because with a number seven, we're also very scattered. So if I work out first thing, then I'm often in my physical world. Like I'm I'm already phys- I'm already up and doing stuff, so it's hard for me to get back into my thinking world. So I like to start out in more of a cerebral zone, and then I like to work out mid morning or later. And he likes to start out in a physical zone and then get into his thinking zone. So anyway, it's just like see learning that I'm an Enneagram Seven has been so eye opening. But the point is, for me, something that makes me feel good is an extended morning quiet time. And so I know that that makes me feel good. So I'm going to keep doing that because I know it puts me in a higher vibrational place. Um, Other things that make me feel good are being playful with the kids. That may mean going outside and throwing baseball. It may mean playing cornhole. It may just mean doing a puzzle or just sitting and, you know, going on a walk and talking to each other. Um, Paddle boarding, anything that we're together doing something fun, that makes me feel good. Other things that make me feel good, reading a book. I love to read. I talk about books all the time on this podcast. I like to read nonfiction. I like to read fiction. So reading anything makes me feel good. So reading makes me feel good. Um, each day, Matthew and I make the time to catch, we try to catch up on our back porch once we're finished working. It's just something that we love to do. We like to just sit there and catch up on the day and regroup and just make sure that we're keeping that, that communication open between one another. That makes us feel good. Um, I love learning about plant-based eating. I love creating elaborate meals. This makes me feel good being in the kitchen, um, cooking, you know, learning about seeds and nuts and how to put flavors together and knowing this, uh, knowing what to put in a Middle Eastern dish versus an Italian dish. Like I love learning all of that. That makes me feel good. Um, you know, lately I've got, I've been, I've talked on the phone to friends that I don't normally talk to, or we've gotten together for lunch with friends from the past. And that makes me feel so good. It's always hard to find time to talk on the phone for a while, but every time I do it, I feel amazing. Yesterday, I talked to my best friend from high school twice on the phone for lengthy periods, and I felt so good afterward just catching up. It's so different than texting each other or, you know, commenting on social media posts. Having a legit conversation over the phone occasionally is incredible, and it makes me feel good. Staying organized as best as I can. I am not inherently an organized person. Number sevens are not very organized. 
or we can be organized, but we're not very, mm, well, we're scattered, I guess is the best way to say it. But I feel really good when I do get organized. So I try to keep my spaces as organized as possible, my desk space, my car, and that makes me feel good. Um, Staying on top of my budget makes me feel good because it makes me feel in control of my financial resources. So these are the things that make me feel good. And when I feel good, the universe responds in the way I want it to. And so I want you to think what makes you feel good? What makes you feel good? So take some time to figure that out because when you start to get kind of this lower level blah type of thing, um, then you can do one of these things on your list that makes you feel good. Oh, two other things that I just, that I didn't say are exercising and being outside. I love being outside and I love exercising. Both those things make me feel good. And so I do them. Um, Another thing that Gabby says in Super Attractor is to focus on the process rather than the outcome. All the outcomes that you desire will show up if you just focus on the process. So this is the same thing. This is similar to the old adage, focus on the journey, not the destination. So the irony of all this is when we're enjoying the process and we find a state of flow in the process, the outcomes that we seek are going to come to us automatically. So back to my novel writing. Yes, I want a literary agent and I want to get my my novels published, but instead of focusing on that, I'm just going to focus on tweaking the manuscript, working with editors, working on my query letter, changing my query letter, learning about the querying process and the publishing process. You know, I'm just going to keep enjoying the process and then the outcomes I know will come to me and I have to be confident that they will. Um, So, you know, to sum up and to kind of wrap up today's episode, it's just been a really cool summer because I asked the universe to help me know myself better, to help me be more playful and to feel more alive and the universe has already delivered with 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 these things I've mentioned. The coaching experience with Beth and Sarah has been so invigorating and enlightening. And the meeting of the woman at the party who gave me the book on fun and discovering that I'm an Enneagram 7. It's just, you know, being outside as much as possible this summer, trying to slow down. All of these things have made me feel so much more alive. And so I want to end today with a poem that Beth shared with us one morning on one of our coaching sessions, and it's from the book, The Prophet, and it's from some, it was written by someone named Khalil Gibran, and this is what it says. Do not live half a life and do not die half death. If you choose silence, then be silent. When you speak, do so until you are finished. If you accept, then express it bluntly do not mask it. If you refuse, then be clear about it. For an ambiguous refusal is but a weak acceptance. Do not accept half a solution. Do not believe half truths. Do not dream half of a dream. Do not fantasize about half hopes. Half the way will not get you where you want to go. You are a whole that exists to live a life, not a half of a life. So that's very powerful, and I want to leave you with that today, and I hope you have a fantastic weekend, and think about some of the things I said today, and just have some fun. Have some fun. I really want you to have some fun this weekend, and enjoy your loved ones, and I will see you all on the next episode of She Breathes. If you are enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing so you don't miss an episode. My goal is to share information and inspiration so that women feel seen, heard, and empowered. Also, if you know someone who would benefit from this podcast, please share. Lastly, if you have a topic or idea that you want to hear more about, 
Or if you want me to expound upon a topic I've previously discussed, please let me know. Message me on any of my social media platforms or email at susanna.shetley at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.